Well, welcome along to another big kickoff uh, rugby podcast where we uh, chew over all rugby issues and uh, we've got quite a lot to get through in the next uh, half an hour or so. I've been joined by regular contributors, uh, Debbie Knight, John Kingston, Joe Harvey, and a very warm welcome to somebody who's uh, making his first appearance on the big kickoff rugby podcast. Uh, I've got Elliot Johns uh, with me. Uh, Hi, Elliot. How are you? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Really looking forward to a chat. Yeah, well, so are we actually, because you're going to be our Pro 14 expert, because I know you uh, have a site called The Spiral, which uh, you you can tell us about very shortly when we go into the Pro 14 section. And in particular, I've got you on to talk a bit about Irish rugby, because one of the uh, features we are going to be going into, of course, is the Six Nations, which uh, we're all eagerly looking forward to. Uh, in the next couple of weeks. But before that, we're going to talk about the return of the Gallagher Premiership because uh, that had a mini break for, I think it was about three weeks, actually. Uh, Six games have been played. We've got a packed Premiership uh, this coming weekend. It all starts on Friday with Leicester at home to sell. Then a whole flock of fixtures over the weekend, which again, we'll talk about very shortly. Um, John, what have you made of the first six weeks so far of the Gallagher Premiership? Unpredictable. Uh, probably very difficult to get much rhythm going um, and it becomes a bit of a, a you know it, it's always an endurance test but it becomes um, you know quite difficult I think when it's stop start and you know when they've had the last couple of weeks off without knowing it was coming whether sides were out of contention for Europe or not it's not ideal um, but they've all got to get on with it and make the best and most of it they possibly can it's unique circumstances isn't it? <laughs> um, looking at the actual table at the moment after six games I think to be fair John few people would have predicted a top two of Bristol Bears Newcastle uh, Exeter down in third Sal obviously up there as well Wasps up there admittedly there's very few points between those uh, five sides as well but uh, let's face it um, it is unpredictable as you quite rightly say and congratulations to Bristol leading the way so far yeah, well, I, I think the signs were there with Bristol. They did ever so well last year, and I expected them to, to be in the top four. I think probably people would be slightly surprised with Newcastle. Um, they've got a tremendous work ethic within their team, um, and they're a big side. They won't be bullied, knocked around by people, and uh, you know, results have gone really well for them. But I said on this show several weeks ago now, I felt with the way things were with no Saracens, it was a great opportunity for someone to come on the blind side and possibly make the top four from the regulars. I think Exeter, you know, they're going to be thereabouts, but they're finding it, they're there to be shot at now. Um, and I've said it several times, when sides are at the top, it's because they work hardest and probably Exeter now. Can they keep working harder? Is the hunger there when they haven't, um, you know, when they've won things, won things, won things? It's one thing saying you're going to keep it going, but then the hunger that the likes of Wasps will have, having just missed out, sale imagine how they feel they didn't make the top four you know Bristol have got a hunger for it now having gone near so they're going to have to match that side of things I fully expect them to be in the top four Um, but it's fascinating it really is all the way and I I, look there's what is it eight points between second and tenth I think I worked out this morning anybody anybody and that includes Gloucester at the bottom with six anybody can make that top four because there's 16 games to go Debbie um John mentioned that gap, as you say, it isn't a lot true. Just sort of focus on the bottom at the moment. I know John touched on Gloucester. They're currently just got six points. Worcester have got nine and then Irish 
Bath 12, Northampton 13 and Queens 14. Um, it is unusual to see Gloucester rock bottom, isn't it? it to be is. fair, and, and actually, I, I did a quick uh, look at who has actually had COVID affected games, um, and they are that one, two, three, four, seven teams have had COVID affected games, and they aren't one of them. Um, which, which, if I were a Gloucester fan, I, I, I would find that problematical. Um, you know, Worcester were deemed to to have beaten Quinns, for example. Um, so I think they would have been given the four points for that, wouldn't they? So, yeah. Uh, I mean, Gloucester do seem to be a little bit awry at the moment. Um, they lose some of their very good players for eight weeks to the Six Nations, whereas Exeter don't lose as many as you might think they ought to for, at the other end. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with the league, bearing in mind this COVID situation. Debbie, you've touched on a very good point there, as you quite rightly say. I mean, at the moment, uh, OK, we've only played six games. Hopefully, we're going to get a bit of a, a run there, so to speak, of some more games, obviously. But then, of course, as we all know, the international break kicks in, etc. as well. But yeah, hopefully. But I, I dare say that's going to have some sort of effect, isn't it? Probably come the end of the season on the table. I think it must. You know, if you're, if you're a Gloucester and you're, you're sitting at the bottom there and the team above you is four points ahead of you, and they got those four points from a game that was affected by COVID. I just, you know, I think, I think it's a much better way to do it than to give a 28-0 win to the team that wasn't bringing COVID to the party. But we look at Newcastle at the top. They, it was deemed in effect that they would have lost to Tigers. I don't think they actually would. If this was a football match we were looking at, that result would have been different, wouldn't it? They'd have, we'd have had the old Pauls panel and that would have been a different situation. It's good. I, I, are we going to see no relegation? It's been mooted, hasn't it? Yeah, it has indeed. It's an interesting point. Um, I'll come on to Joe now. Joe, obviously with COVID around, with all sorts of sports, we all know it's affecting everything. Rugby is going to be no different. Hopefully, fingers crossed, things can change. It doesn't look that way at the moment. Is it fair with this four points, two points, or would you go back to 28-0? Yeah, I mean, that's obviously an interesting point because when the when the change did happen, it was kind of one of them where you, you were frustrated with, with I suppose, the premiership for kind of not, for kind of flip-flopping on that decision to literally just say, if your team is at fault, the other team that was able to play will be awarded five points, you know, because they're able to fulfil the fixture. But I think by giving two points to the team that was affected, it because I think anything at the moment, what we know is that, it's not anyone's intrinsically anyone's fault. We know that these players and these people involved at clubs want to play the games. They want to be out there at a weekend and they want things, you know, to progress in the manner so that they can have fans in the stadiums within the next 12 months. So, it, you know, and, and then it's a funny one because then people were saying when we had this two weeks off, they'd like to see games, the games that were cancelled to be played. But ultimately, from a Premiership rugby standpoint, they don't want those games to be played because they need to seem like it's a strong leadership and they have that kind of strong mentality moving forward that if something is affected and they've made a decision, that is their decision and that is final. Um, but I, th I think they're doing something that's in the best interest of anyone. They're not intrinsically rewarding a side because they weren't affected by COVID, but they are you know, they, they are admitting that it's not everyone's fault sometimes when you have an outbreak in the camp. 
very good point, actually, as you as you quite rightly say. So let's quickly look ahead to the weekend's fixtures. Uh, Joe, I'll keep on with you. I mentioned about Leicester Sale uh, starts being off on Friday. The weekend, we've got Worcester against Exeter, Irish against Newcastle, Bristol against Bath. Uh, that could be interesting, couldn't it? West, West Country battle down there. Uh, Gloucester against Northampton. And then on Sunday, to wrap it all up, uh, Wasps against Quinns. What, what's your take on those matches? Well, I mean, there's one that there's a couple that stand out. To be honest, I think that that sale game with Alex Anderson having just made the move up to you know up to the northwest, I think that stands out because you want to see, you know, in the short time that he's had, what identity he can start stamping on the side. How are they going to play? Are they going to play a bit of kind of a Saracens s game? That's been such you know that's been a part of his life for you know probably what 15 years or something ridiculous like that. Getting on to 16, um, then you, you don't want to look much further than you know, your Wasps, Harlequins with everything that's been going on at Quinns in the last few weeks. So that kind of stands out as well. And, you know, but then at the same time, is is a Sale or a Quinns, whenever they get their kind of new leaders, are they going to follow the same kind of pathway as Wasps around this time, 12 months ago? Well, 10 months ago, even. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so it should be quite intriguing, as you say, Joe. Uh, some, like I say, some good ties there. Uh, that's this coming weekend. Um, thanks for that, Joe. I'm going to quickly bring in uh, Elliot now because uh, Elliot's new to the program. Uh, hi, once again, Elliot. Now, tell us a bit more quickly about the, the spiral. Um, so basically, it's uh, to just a website set up by both myself and my brother Nathan, and um, we love talking about the game. We love. We've been Leinster and Ireland fans, Leinster season ticket holders since 2012. We just love having a, a chat about the game after after every single Leinster game every week. So um, it's more it's it's more so a thing of just putting our thoughts on paper and seeing if people like reading them because we do we do uh, I can say this as modestly as possible we do know quite a bit about Leinster rugby. So um, it's it's just about yeah just and it's something a little bit different because it's slightly more in depth uh, and an in depth approach rather than some, some of the more vague things you see in some of the general media but um yeah it's just something it's just us throwing our thoughts down on paper and um hoping that people can like it <laughs> exactly yeah i've had a look it's really good actually and uh, i'm going to bring you into the talk when we go through our six nations uh, segment and talk about ireland for obvious reasons but um I'll keep on with you, actually, um, Elliot. Pro 14 at the moment, OK, we can't go by without mentioning Leinster, obviously. It's a terrific yeah, battle yeah. in Conference A, isn't it? I mean, you've got Ulster, who've only lost one game, 46 points. Your Leinster boys, uh, they ditto only lost one game, only one point behind. I mean, to be fair, you can, it goes about saying you can probably forget the rest, actually. But it's really between those two, isn't it? I think so. And crucially, um, uh, Leinster have a game in hand on Ulster. And um, again, what was what was really important for Leinster to sort of stay in the stay in the hunt after they lost to Connacht was to beat Ulster. Uh, I think it was about three weeks ago there. And that was another big battle uh, in, in Dublin. And yeah, it was um, it, like you say, it's really tight at the top of Conference A there. And what? The third place is Ospreys, and they're uh, about 15 points behind. So it's not, there's not much between the two the two sides there. So, um, but as a Leinster fan, I will say that they'll they'll have enough to 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 um, to, to topple them at the top. How how do you feel Leinster will go in Europe? Um, look, I think 
their form, uh, barring any injuries to um, some key player, even with injuries to key players, Leinster's squad depth is that is that good. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's been announced yet that who who will be playing, but um, I, I I I I don't doubt that they'll be that they'll make amends for their poor performance against the against Saracens last year in the quarterfinal, and um, I reckon they'll be right back up in contention to 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 go deep into the knockout stages. I was going to touch on that, but you, you, you beat me to it, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Debbie, yeah. by the way, is a massive uh, uh, Saris uh, fan, so I'm sure she was reveling in that as well. We'd love to come in and mention about that, won't you, Debbie? Would I, Rob? No, would I? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Brilliant. I think we'll leave it there. Um, great, Elliot. Thanks for that. I'll come back to you, as I say, once we start talking about Six Nations. But I know Joe mentioned about what's been happening at Harlequin to last... Uh, a couple of weeks has been quite interesting. Uh, this week uh, probably came as a shock to most people. Uh, for somebody like me who covers Quinns, it, it was a shock, to be honest with you. I, I know you could sit down and argue about, well, look, the results probably haven't gone their way as such. But as we've said many a time on this show, uh, Joe, in particular, rugby isn't like football. You do tend to get given a reasonable amount of time, it has to be said. But uh, Quinn's announced that uh, Paul Gusgard has uh, left by mutual agreement. Uh, the classic football line, isn't it? Mutual, <laughs> mutual agreement. Uh, read into that what you will. Um, what's your take on it, uh, Joe? No, it's just interesting that the use of mutual agreement. I think what a day later, Frank Lampard was kind of been using the same language. <laughs> so you know, two two big names departing London clubs in that sense. Um, did did I was I massively surprised? I, I don't think Quinns were as hot on him as they were when they hired him. I don't think they made the steps forward that maybe the club would have liked, would have liked. But ultimately, it's a building phase. I mean, it's still kind of you know, rugby is one of those ways. Sometimes you do kind of get that extra bit of line to kind of build the team up. And but then when you kind of started seeing that players were making the decisions to leave, like um, James Lang and um, and Glenn Young, for example, and then there was all the rumours around Ashton and and this, that, and the other. Smith. You did start to wonder, yeah, and yeah. it's just bizarre to even think. Firstly, that Marcus Smith was on <laughs> was exactly. on the chopping block in some sense, um, but when you start seeing those kind of things, something kind of starts to to swirl in your head a bit about whether or not they would, you know, extend Gustard's contract or you know do what they you know see do what they saw fit with it. Um, but when it was kind of a mid season kind of dismissal in a sense, that that is often a surprise, uh, and th- there's someone else who's definitely more qualified to answer this than me yeah <laughs> which brings us nicely on to uh john um interesting take from paul gusgard I, I think to be fair he's taken a little bit of a, a swipe at quinn's uh, because virtually he left quinn's and then of course as we all know now he's uh, going to apply his trade uh, over at uh, benetton which i'll come on to in a minute but uh, paul gusgard said he was looking forward to joining the club where there was a clear vision a deep level of trust. John, what's your take on that? Look, I'm, I am really sorry to see that um, it's not worked out, both from Harlequins and Paul's perspective. Um, I'm actually also very, very upset to see some of the mudslinging that's gone on in the last week in sections of the media. Uh, I don't think it's particularly becoming unnecessary. Um People inside the camp will know exactly what's gone on. 
and I think people speculating on it, I don't think is overly healthy. What I do think is that when you come to the end of a time, um, it's natural, apart from probably Alex Ferguson, it's natural that the last few parts, the last few months of it are not particularly easy. I just hope when time drags forward a little bit that they'll look back and look at some of the positive things that happened. I can certainly tell you from my personal perspective, you know, I wouldn't have wished that last six months at Harlequins for the way that ended, but it very, very quickly, I was, my thought process when I look back on Quinns now is about beating Munster and Thomond. It's about beating Toulouse in Toulouse. It's about winning European trophies against Claremont and Stad. It's about winning LV trophies with academy sides about winning the premiership it's about all of those positive things and that's what i do hope is is that comes out of it i really do and i i just hope from paul's point of view that he gets out of it the next job he's got which is now announced something really positive and dare i say it and i get on well with paul for me even more importantly i just hope that harlequins start to move forward um or move forward some more because i've heard things said about harlequins are, are not a a big club and all of this sort of stuff being thrown around. I think, hang on a minute. I've just mentioned to you loads and loads of stuff that we were doing uh, as a club um, for years and years and years. And those sort of victories where the fans have enjoyed such wonderful experiences in Europe and trophy winning things. You don't win trophies easily. Mm. Harlequins have actually had some great times. And this is a brilliant club. It's a great brand. I would say this for fantastic shirt. Everybody knows the club, everybody knows the name. And I just sincerely think that everybody, whenever they're involved in a club like that, they need to look at it and say, do you know what? We're extremely privileged. We're custodians of the club while we're there. But I really, really, with all my heart, hope that the club, you know, start to really forge forward and start winning things again. Because when you consider, John, uh, when um, he left virtually, Queen's, I think, and won five consecutive away games, something like that. So, you know, it's not so much the away form. Possibly it was the home form. And there were stages in games, to be fair, where you looked at it, and Paul Gustard admitted it as well, because I spoke to him quite a few times, where he said, we should have won that game. You know, we should have got over the line. We didn't. There's something there that stops them from actually winning that game. Uh, we all know with sport, John, you know it as well. Results, it's a fine line of margin, isn't it, really? It is. You turn from, from king to clown very, very quickly. Um, and that's the way that's the way it operates. And you understand that the rules of engagement when you when you go into professional sport, it's the way it is. As I said, I've got no more really to say than that to say I'm just really disappointed that it's ended like that. I'm really, really saddened by some of the mudslinging that's gone on. And I just sincerely hope that uh, the two parties really, you know, go forward in the different ways and things start to really move forward and I have to say particularly as much as I get on well with Paul particularly I'd like to see Harlequins start to to really go forward because they've got some great supporters and you know they deserve to to have some success. Well I second that as well most definitely. Um, Joe I'll quickly bring you in on this just just final point on Paul Gustard interesting point from Paul he said I decided in December that uh, him and his wife wanted a new experience and new challenges. Now that what are we in now we're in January, aren't we, really? You can only say, I don't know, any part of December. It could be five, six weeks ago. Interesting point there? Yeah. No, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, I don't know, it's a fun, that's a funny one, because you'd think that he'd kind of just make the decision and do it. Maybe he wanted to 
get back in again after a small break and kind of see how things went. But maybe as the as this this longer break went on, because obviously how close we are to the Premiership restarting, as this as this break went on, maybe he made the decision that he didn't want to stay, and maybe the club called him up at the same time and said we want to have a discussion, and it kind of just came to a close that way. Um, but you know, for a long time he's been you know Saracens, England, and you know maybe you know. Treviso for a couple of years could be a nice little way to kind of rejuvenate himself and, and work with what's going to, what's a really young coaching group uh, at Benetton. Mm, yeah, very, very much so as well. And just quickly, finally, on Gaston, I've got to echo what John said. Uh, ever since I've dealt with Paul, he's been a wonderful man to deal with. He's always been honest, uh, very, very good to get on with as well. So, Paul, enjoy Benetton, but let's face it, He's, he's walking into a bit of a challenge, isn't he? I'll just quickly bring Elliot on this. Uh, <laughs> uh, they haven't exactly started off well, have they, uh, Elliot? No, no, they've lost all nine of their games, and um, there's, there's been some really tight ones. I was, um, I watched their game against Ospreys earlier on in the year, and, Ospre- and that, that was away in 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 Swansea, and yeah, they they had that still and at the death, and then they lost two tight games against their Italian rival Zebra. So yeah, it's really tough going for them at the moment. It's, it's, they're not in a good place. And with Ian Keatley just having left, gone to Glasgow, that, that sort of exacerbates their problems. So um, they're not in a good place at all at the moment. No, so uh, as I say, our thoughts go with Paul and his family and uh, obviously the very, very best of luck out there. So we're going to finish off with some uh, Six Nations talk because it's Six Nations coming up in a couple of weeks' time. It seems to have taken an age to get to this stage, but at least uh, we can start talking about that. It's probably going to be slightly different because obviously we still don't know yet uh, what's happening with France. Are they going to travel over? Um, Obviously, that's still completely up in the air at the moment. Uh, Hopefully they will. Debbie, um, I'm going to come on to you, actually. Um, Eddie Jones named his squad a uh, um, week or so ago, was it? Well, this week sometimes, should I say? Sorry. Um, going down like nine pins, one of the papers said here, incidentally. Uh, no Sam Underhill. Yeah. Uh, Joe Longsbury, obviously. Mako Vinopola. Carl Sinclair, uh, due to the fact he uh, had a bit of a word with a certain referee uh, recently. Uh, Joe Marler, uh, he admitted on social media he's had to withdraw for the squads for family reasons. He doesn't really fancy travelling for COVID and, and understandably so. I think all players have that right to do so, as the case may be as well. Uh, and that's what he's decided. Of course, Eddie Jones, remember, he's self-isolating as well also. So uh, um, preparation not good, shall we say, for England? I think preparation difficult for England. Um, looking at the people that are there, they are, you know, there are some uncapped players, but mm. the core are used to being together. Um, of course, the Saracens core haven't played rugby since the 2nd of December, so that's going to be an interesting one to see, isn't it? Mm. Um, I'm very pleased by a couple of the inclusions and, as always, disappointed by some of the exclusions. So I think Harry Randall has been sublime for Bristol. Um, he's quite tiny, so I'm not so sure how he's going to get on with international rugby, but I'd love to see him start again. Carl Sinkler, you mentioned, Carl Sinkler. It's going to be interesting to see whether or not they would have deemed that he played for Bristol this weekend. Yeah. Because if not, he's going to miss two matches, isn't he? Not just one. 
So we'll see on that one. Joe Marlow, I read his uh, book over Christmas. I can really highly recommend it. It's a fantastic read and it will actually really give you an understanding of the man. So it doesn't surprise me at all that he can't, he, he won't want to be away from his family for eight weeks. Um, I think having read his book, I could have known that before this point. I think England will be there or thereabouts. I just hope they play some rugby in this Six Nations because I, I, I thought their rugby was awful during the, during the Autumn Nations Cup. Didn't like it at all. I'd have, I'd have been actually quite happy to see France beat them in that final, I have to say. Not very patriotic of me, but... <laughs> yeah, well, we discussed this before, didn't we, about how it wasn't the most entertaining uh, competition. I'm sure the Six Nations are going to be much more entertaining. John, you've obviously had a chance to chew over that uh, England squad in particular. What's your thoughts on the squad? Me? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's, you know, obviously, uh, Paolo, Paolo Dogwoo's come in. Uh, Harry, uh, as Debs has just referenced, but it's pretty regular people. Um, I think we probably need to expect the unexpected a bit because you don't know behind the scenes how the preparation's been. Um, travel's going to be really difficult. Um, but England have got, ostensibly, they've got three home games, two away, never any easy games, but they've ostensibly got a good draw, in my opinion. Um, and, I, you know, they'll obviously fancy their chances. To me, the other side that I think have got a good draw, if they're good enough, are Ireland, um, which I'm sure Elliot will come on to. And the reason I say that is because although they've got three away, they've got the two teams that you would deem to possibly be the most competitive at home, um, France and um, England. So if they're good enough they will fancy their chances of possibly going through. I'm not saying I think that, um, but I think England's squad is strong. I think it's the benchmark. Um, and I think the side that finishes above England will probably win the win the championship, frankly. Joe, uh, it all kicks off um, Saturday the 6th, Italy against France. And of course, England, we, we're talking on uh, against Scotland. Uh, Scotland, a bit of an, um, well, have been in the past, a very unpredictable side, aren't they? On their day, they can be very good. And on another day, they can be the complete opposite. Yeah, definitely. And I think we've seen with their selections, they're, they're kind of mixing up a bit. I mean, I think in terms of like bringing in Cam Redpath, that's massive for Scotland, being able to bring in him, considering, I mean, I'll be honest, Eddie was a bit prickly about that on Friday afternoon. I don't know if anyone saw that. He was kind of uh, trying to shake that one off as quickly as he could. Um, and then obviously another man who, who's done the same thing is Gary Graham. He's probably going to be playing number eight for them after his start for Newcastle this season. Um, but they've got Finn Russell back and I think that's the headline thing he's going to be I think he's going to be quite keen for it by all accounts he's been playing well for Racing as you'd expect um, for a world class 10 and for him as well obviously we still don't know what's happening with the Lions tour as well this is a huge opportunity for Finn to get there and be in the initial squad as well because invariably in the Lions year we do just start talking about the Lions at this time of the year anyway so I think yeah, I think we're going to see a different Scotland, but I think in terms of the forward pack, they're quite settled across the board, apart from maybe that number eight slot, which has, has alternated massively anyway in the last couple couple of games. Um, but yeah, I mean, let's let's see what happens with Johnson and um, and Redpath in particular in that twelve shirt because that could be very influential on in how they play with that kind of axis. Because you know Johnson and Redpath, they are in, they are inherently creative players, but it just depends how they want to play that because you can't have both of them in. And yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what Gregor does. 
I mentioned at the start of this segment about it's going to be so unpredictable. I mean, there's talk at the games, uh, there's any COVID issues, which we've got to keep penciling in that could happen at any time, of course, throughout this Six Nations. Hopefully it won't be affected, but the chances are probably that it's going to happen at some point in particular. There is talk about the games not being cancelled automatically. If that is the situation, they could delay the game so they can try and squeeze them in, in particular. Uh, do you feel that's going to be the best idea, Joe? Or? Um, it's very dependent on the, the situation with each union and their kind of their clubs and where they select their players from and the clubs they select the players from. I mean, luckily, England pay £220 million a year to, to PRL to get access to the players. Uh, so they'll probably be fine. Uh, and then in terms of Ireland, they'll be fine as well. Um, the issue would be with France, as we saw in the Autumn Nations Cup on their kind of selection policies regarding that. But we could get to see, you know, a, a team of 15 caps again, you know, nearly beat England. So that that's dependent on what happens there. So it's very independent. I think with Italy, they'd probably allow it, but it would depend on some of their kind of more top draw players. Obviously, Italy throughout the tournament anyway, probably should mention without Mattia Minotti, who's chosen not to go on Italy duty. Um, so th there's there's lots of different variables. So I think the key one would be France and maybe and maybe some of the premiership clubs kicking up a bit of a fuss. Hmm. Going to bring Elliot in now because John obviously mentioned about uh, he fancies that Ireland could do very, very well. Elliot, what's your overall situation with the Six Nations coming up as regard the Irish? Uh, look, John raised an interesting point that the schedule is quite good, but um, are Ireland good enough? And it's they're in a transitionary period at the moment. Ever since Andy Farrell took over, and um, and you just it's just it, there's a lot to, there's a lot of unanswered questions still. Will Johnny Sexton and Conor Murray perform? Um, who who are the centre partnership? Um, but uh, it's. And who's going to start in the back row? Like the, it, it, it's, it doesn't feel like a lot has changed since the Autumn Nations Cup. There's not too many new players in the squad. But um, yeah, if Ireland are good enough, I do fancy them to, to maybe win three or four games uh, in this one. I, I think that they might struggle against France if they play France. And um, yeah, England at home uh, should be... It is England at home, I think. Yeah, England at home should be um, a very, very good game in round five. Yeah. So finally, we're going to go around the table. Uh, I'll start with you, Elliot. Hand on heart, realistically, I know you're probably going to say Ireland, uh, Six Nations champions for the 2021. Oh, I'd love to say Ireland, but I, if, if France, if, if France, uh, if, I just can't say no to Antoine Dupont. He, I think France are going to win the, the Six Nations. John? Um, England, um, I think they'll either win it or share it. And I tell you what, Scotland, they won't win it because they've got two right tough games, but they'll look at those three home games and they'll say, we can do a lot, lot better. I, I think they're a very, very interesting side. But for me, I, England will either win it or share it, in my opinion. Debbie? I'm going to go with France the same again. Shame that Entomat's not in the squad, but hmm. yeah, I'd like to say, as long as nobody loses their head, which is, which is why they lost it last year, really. I'm going to go with France. So hopefully they've all had a good talking to and they keep their fists by the side of their, of their shorts if something goes wrong. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, would hope so. And the last word with you, Joe. Come on. Oh. Get the crystal ball out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say uh, there is a big battle in my head between France and England right now. Mm. 
who would win that game? <laughs> I'm going to say England because they've got so many players, especially now with Launchbury and, um, you know, Marla away. They've got so many players raring to, to kind of get an England shirt and try and stake a claim for it. So I think there's a lot of motivation, especially with the squads as they are this year with, with kind of limited changes in selection. So I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to say England. We will see. Hopefully we can get through a Six Nations without any issues, etc. as well. Time will tell, but on the next big kickoff rugby podcast here, we'll no doubt be uh, delving into how the Six Nations has been going. Joe Harvey from Talking Rugby Union, thank you very much for your time, as always. Uh, Elliot, thank you very much, uh, Elliot, from The Spiral. Check Elliot and that site out. John, John Kingston, as always, pleasure to catch up with you, John. Thanks once again for everything. And you too, Peter. And Debbie, Debbie Knight, as always, a wonderful contributor uh, as well. And I think she only mentioned Saracens once in 35 minutes. So that's not bad, actually. Well done. I'm not sure I mentioned them at all, actually. There <laughs> I think you delved in once, only once. <laughs> no, it's a pleasure, Deb. Thanks very much to everybody. You've been listening to The Big Kickoff. I've been Peter Moore. We will be back shortly at some point as well. Uh, whatever you do, take care, stay safe, look after yourself. Brilliant.